Wait for it. Wait for it. And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction, as we uh, gave a demonstration of to Jacob in the pre-show, because that's just how we roll. We gave him time to back out, and he didn't run. I'm, so I'm so sorry, Jacob. I know it's our first introduction. I didn't mean to blow up like that. Don't take it personally. I get passionate about certain aspects of art. We'll just leave it at that. So I'm just saying, if you really want to get the hate mail going, start sending Nick questions about camera angles. If you know, you oh. know. John yeah, Apple, I, I'm not talking my first rant. Not my first rant. Uh, John, if you're listening... He wants you to tell him why he's wrong. Just start spamming his inbox. It doesn't matter if you agree with him. Just get him going. It'll be hilarious. Stabbing him. Like like <laughs> like All right. With that out of the way, Jacob, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers, please? Sure. Uh, I am uh, Jacob Hollow. I uh, write uh, science fictions, sometimes a little bit of fantasy. Um, I've. Uh, uh, best known for co-authoring the uh, Gorin Division series with David Weber, um, of which the uh, the Dyson file is uh, book number five in that series and uh, is my first traditionally published solo novel, uh, which That's I'm awesome. very excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my background, uh, the, the other job, uh, I am, uh, I have about, 20 plus years experience in automotive industrial controls. Uh, I guess you could call me an expert in that field, uh, though most of the stuff that I do nowadays is uh, database programming. Oh. <laughs> no, not no, as, as interesting like, as the, uh, the like the you were super cover. stoked. You were super stoked about the earlier part of it, and it, it, you. I found a a downgrade octave when you're like, well, that's what I'm doing now. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. I really want to talk about the other stuff, man. That sounds really interesting. Well, the, luckily we didn't have him here to talk about automotive stuff. Although if you decide to go over to three Ravens and write in their car wars universe, maybe your, your experience will come into play. Oh Ooh. boy. <laughs> Does that sound fun? A little Mad Max action and a little death. Yes. Two thousand. Uh, three, three Ravens bought the, uh, the rights to the Steve Jackson art games, RPG. And so they've been they've been starting books in that universe, so. Uh, it, but, but that might be too close to work for you, so you might not like that, Jacob. I'm like, oh, cars! I want a break. <laughs> yeah, uh, the um, that that might be a little bit too close to home for me, um, because that's <laughs> you know that's. <laughs> I definitely don't want to read or do a game based on Border Wars, you know. So like, I feel yeah, you. I feel you. Okay, like, I get it. All right, so. It. The next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found him. So his wife was a guest on the show way back when. Uh, her and Doc go way wife? back. HP uh, Hollow. She does the Flash No way, bro. Really? Okay, I had no idea that was not in the show notes. That was not in the show notes. Now I, feel <laughs> like they get, I mean, they have the same last name. Come on. How many Hollows do you know? Two. I mean, if it was One of them yeah, now, right now. I don't know, man. Like, yeah. So uh, she should have used initials VR Hollow because then it would have been cooler for her. Oh, that. Um, she could have just pretended like her name was like a V name and like, what are you talking about? That's my name. I'd have totally that is a cool that. last name, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that. Like Hollow. I'm like, mm, is that a pen name? We, Turns out it's a real it, name. it is half of a real name. 
uh, it is half of our real last name. Uh, uh, so okay. The, the full one is Holowack. Uh, w What the? And we just we just chop the difficult part off and get it. and streamline it and it it just happens to sound a little sci-fi too. There's an author. Oh, so does Holowack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's an author that um, writes sci-fi from like the fighter jet perspective. So he does like space fighters, which I argue should really be its own subgenre of mill sci-fi. And his Agreed. his initials are SF, and he writes sci-fi. I mean, how perfect is that? And he didn't even have to cheat for that one. Like one so. of my most uh, favorite mill sci-fi series was Space Above and Beyond, and that was all aviation. That was fighter jocks, you know. Is that the one where the, uh, Emery was uh, the drill sergeant? He was. He did a couple episodes of that, and then you brought in the uh, the people that were cloned. They called them tanks or nipple necks. Oh, I remember, remember that? watching that. It was like in the show. early 2000s. I, yeah, yeah. They were all Marines. They were called the Wild Cards. That was the name of their uh, their squadron. And they were like, they would fly fighter jets again, or fighter jets, they're fighters. And they would also do like super secret squirrel Navy SEAL shit. So it was kind of weird, but it was also very entertaining. I was like, why are these pilots doing like direct action stuff? You know? Could it, it work for Jack? Wait, no, this was before Jag, wasn't it? This is before Jag, like by a year. Because Harm, like he was an aviator turned lawyer, and then he was an aviator again because he was just so kick ass. And they did the same well, thing. Had, they did the Catherine same thing Hill, with Stargate. Super hot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then they had, um, what was it? Uh, Stargate did, uh, Atlantis had the guy that was somehow he flew fighter jets and helicopters, which made him perfectly. Uh, cr well, cross aviation is not a big it's oh, no, not an unheard of thing. Yeah, but there's a big difference from going like jet to jet and going jet to helicopter. Oh, yeah, from fi fixed wing to rotary wing. Yeah, it's a definitely big deal, but it's not unheard of. Well, that, every helicopter pilot I've talked to says that it is unheard of. Uh, and I did some research for the book that I'm writing. So Maybe I'm it sure is. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. But anyway, so his wife was a guest and she was so nice that he got an invitation because she was nice. That's so, pretty awesome. That, well, sounds, that well, sounds like Heather. Welcome. <laughs> yeah so um she was she was super friendly so i said hey you've got a husband he writes too why not drag him on kicking and screaming and then it just took a little bit because she was season one and she was on when we were no yeah she was season one uh and i guess you've been busy doing the work thing not dying that's a achievement by the way well done you didn't die you made two more years so here we are uh with that being said We've got to start off, sir, with the religion question. Are you ready for this? I, I am ready. All uh, right. I, I, I am prepared for the religion question. Questions. All right. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Okay. So so this is a really tough one for me. I um, love but, it when we have guests in a dilemma about this question. But I um, um, I, so, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of walk you through um reasons why i might give one or the other and then i'll, I'll pick a one at the end Jacob, if you're hold okay my with hand approach. hold my hand and walk me through your journey sir walk me okay. through it <laughs> so um uh well i'm going to start with firefly Attaboy. so the, the firefly gets a special mention because um not, not so much that i'm like really into it because i'm I'm not. I I enjoyed Firefly, and I especially enjoyed uh, Serenity, 
but I, but I you know enjoy the uh, the other two properties more. Um, but uh, my uh, my first pitch for a solo novel to uh, to Bain, which which was was purchased, was uh, uh, Firefly meets Ringworld, and and Tony uh, Tony Weisskopf did pick that up, and I actually oh, just go turned on. manuscript. Go on, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I so it. Firefly gets a special mention because of that. Yeah. Um, so. Now, now we're now we're to uh, Star Trek and, and Star Wars. So I, growing up, um, I I watched a lot of both of them. Um, there, there were like the the VHS uh, would get to the end uh, of one of the movies, and then would just get rewound and some. I put in maybe a different one, or I just rewatched the one. I yeah, I can't tell you how many times I watched like Wrath of Khan or you know the Star Wars movies. Um, and in fact, if I just like reach over here, um, <laughs> oh my lord! So I'm unfortunately this 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 is a Star Wars. Uh, What's well, a Fantasy Flight Games uh, Star Wars Armada? Unfortunately, it's a bit of a dead game at this point. You want to yeah, show it one more time? It. I figured out how to oh. get you in. Oh yeah, yeah. That game had a lot of potential. Yes, well, yes, it did. Short. I, I, unfortunately, there's. I see this a bit of a you, got little, you got the now. robot behind you, so you've got your nerd creds on display. I'm digging it behind your book. Yep, yep. I uh, got uh, got Amaro's uh, new Gundam uh, from Charles Cavanaugh. Confirmed. <laughs> did you put that <laughs> there just for us? Sasabi there. I'm sorry. What? Did you put that there just for us, which total cool points still, or was it already there? Uh, it was already a little bit off to the side. I maneuvered it. That totally I've counts. I've, actually, I've got another one over here. Um, this is the most recent uh, gun paw that I put together. Um, let me just. Nick, I'll let uh, you brag later. So. Oh, nice. Oh, no, actually, that's cool as hell, bro. Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this is from. Uh, uh, what's uh, Hathaway's Flash? I think is the yeah the movie. Um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a really interesting uh, Gundam, Gundam design, and it was a, a fun build too. It, it to me, it, it seems a little bit busy, but uh, it was it was really fun to put together. There's a lot going on with that Gundam. Yes, yes, there is. There's a lot going on with that Gundam. Like that's kind of where it kind of exceeds Robotech, which I'm a huge fan of the Macross saga. Um, I got a few Macross in the background, but their figures were so small, not in that same configuration as like the mm -hmm. Gundam. Like, hey, I'm in your face, Gundam. So, uh, Macross was like, I'm a cool figure, but I'm small. You know. Okay, I gotta ask. I gotta ask Jacob. Have you thought about writing a Gundam type universe? Not like obviously hashtag you know shaved off the serial numbers, whatever. But your own take on it. Uh, well, I already have. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a double barrel <laughs> answer in the face. I've already hold, did hold it, that, dude. Hold that thought. I just, I just want to finish my answer. Sure. Um, yes, sir. You have the I'm religious question. So um, between Star Trek and Star Wars, which, which I love both properties, and I've loved them both for a while, e even though sometimes some of the, the more recent stuff that comes out, 
kind of tests my my love for the properties, shall we say? Yeah, um, I, I, I feel you. Uh, yeah, the, the last Jedi made me very, very angry. Um, in fact, that's the most angry that I've ever been coming out of a movie theater ever. Jr. won't ask me the question. Don't ask um, me. It'll be a forty-five minute tirade, and we're here for Jacob. But I, I have to say, between the two, uh, I have to uh, give the advantage to uh, Star Wars, and that's because I got my start writing um, really bad Star Wars fan fiction, and so that me is, too. That's the seed that then eventually ends up here. <laughs> so, I wrote episode, episode three before episode three even came out. I did like a 9-11 on the Jedi Temple. <laughs> it, it was bad. It was also kind of so, cool. <laughs> so um, getting back to, to Gundam, uh, I have uh, written a trilogy uh, of uh, giant robot novels. Um, it is, it's basically like um, Gundam, uh, Evangelion, and a, uh, a, uh, an older, uh, I think, PS1 game called Xenogears all had a party in my brain. <laughs> and then this trilogy just came out. And it's got giant robots fighting hand-to-hand -hand in space. That's a party I wish I got the invite for. But <laughs> I'm here for it. Did it ever uh, get published? Uh, well, uh, Heather and I, we, we self-published it. Uh, it is okay. the Seraphim Revival, and it is a complete trilogy. It's actually, of all the stuff uh, of mine that, that is out, it is the, the earliest stuff in terms of chrono chronology of when I wrote it. Um, um, and where can we find it? Is it available for purchase? Yes. Yep. It's, oh, it's awesome. on Amazon. Um, it's... Okay. Basically everywhere that that Heather put it, right, cool. <laughs> but I know it's on I, Amazon. I, I got, I got. We all have an invite to the party now. We got to get to this. So, for the record, Nick, uh, HP Hollow, his wife is sort of like stabby as to you, like the business director that tells you which direction to point the guns at. So, oh no, yeah, he's got his own stabby stab. Except for I don't think she has any knives yet. I hope. Okay, mm -hmm. that's good. No, it means you'll live longer. <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. So we've got that series. We're going to definitely take a look at that and maybe come back or, or do a panel built around the concept. Cause it's just oh, robots cool, right? Cause from yeah, what you described, uh, I'm like, it's uh, a well, giant, giant robots uh, fueled by the pilot's own soul and commanded by the society's honored dead. I dig it. So one of the <laughs> things when we were so the sci-fi shenanigans, it used to get my co-host of the time who had to get a real job. Uh, curse be the adult and hood economy. But uh, Chris Stupid used to get adulting. all trippy. I know he used to get all trippy. They, they were trying to prove a proof of concept um, for the um, the concept of some of the robots they were building in Japan. So they scaled it down as you do. And the director who made it realized, hey, this is the perfect size for my toddler. So now you have him in an adult sized one and his toddler in a kid sized one doing katas. And of course, this guy at the time, he had toddlers near him. And he was just picturing a toddler throwing a temper tantrum in a mech suit. And so he just went off about like how uncool that was. And I'm just thinking like, that's one way to ensure the kid never gets bullied. Because you just yeah, show up rocking in around in a, on a, in a freaking Gundam. Right. So it's it's a topic that's always amused me. And I think there's lots of room to explore in, for sci-fi and fantasy as David, uh, no, it wasn't David White, Larry Correa and Steve Diamond. 
did the fantasy mech suits? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a topic we will revisit, and you will be on the list of people to come talk about with it now that we do more panels. And with that being said, you've answered the question. So are you ready for the next one? I am ready. All right. Because we are polytheistic and we have no souls, uh, we traded it for some booze and some good cigars. Yeah, it was worth it. But uh, with that being said, sir, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Chronicles of Narnia? Wheel of Time. Excellent. That's choice. the first. That's the first time we've ever had someone choose Wheel of Time on this show. So, um, I that down. I uh, let's see here. I got introduced to Wheel of Time uh, back in college, twenty plus years ago. Oh my gosh! Oh wow! Uh, but uh, uh, so, a friend of mine, he's like, "Hey, you know, check out this series." And uh, I, I started reading it, and uh, I I loved it. Um, now, now, granted, there's a a part of the series that later on, I, I think I like I forget which book it was, but I, I was I was doing a lot of traveling at the time, and I was just kind of like going through the series. It's like my travel uh, series. Um, and you're reading through it. And it's like, you know what? Not a whole lot has happened for like three books. <laughs> so think there's a, a section there where things kind of slow down and kind of get, get mired, but the, um, the world building is just so good. Um, and, uh, so Game of Thrones, I read the first book. And I recognized why people liked it, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I got to the end and, you know, then, you know, the, the end of the first book happens and like, where's my big battle? Cause I was expecting like a big battle. Cause that, that was like the, the dessert at, the end of all of Robert Jordan's books. It's like, okay, you know, there may be some sections you got to slog through, but then you get that big, awesome battle at the get end. Payoffs. Yeah, exactly. Every book, you know, you got that big battle at the end. It's, 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 it's amazing. You didn't get that in the first book. You didn't get that at all. Very disappointing. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I got to the end of a uh, game of Thrones and it's like, where, where's my battle? I didn't get my battle. And it just sort of like, ended and i'm like you know i'm already I'm, I'm already reading you know wheel of time that's i'm like yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna you know continue this one so I, I set it aside and um i actually never watched the show either um though i i certainly heard a lot about it particularly the later seasons yeah all the battles you wanted were way after um, but, but yeah, I, uh, um, you know, initially I approached, uh, Wheel of Time, you know, as just a reader and then, you know, looking at it as, you know, an author from like a, you know, craftsman standpoint, it's like, yeah, this is, this is really well put together stuff here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, uh. And I, I remember I was so excited when I saw the uh, uh, the the first season 
uh, being advertised. And, you know, I was like reading, you know, refreshing myself on, on the lore, getting prepared for it. I was, I was talking it up to, to Heather. It's like, oh, this, this is great. I like bought her the, the first book so she could read it. And, and, then, and then we watched that season. Oh, I see. Look at this. <laughs> and, and I'm like, <laughs> you guys, you got all this intricate world building. And you just like throw most of it in the dumpster. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> you had the roadmap. It was already there. All you had to do was follow it. That's that, <sighs> that is poor producing. That is a poor producer and directorial effort right there. You know, if you trade the Wheel of Time and you insert any of the beloved franchises that were destroyed on television, the rant is the same. Star Wars, some of Star Trek. Well, this is okay. So I, I have I, I have opinions about this. <laughs> oh, we all have opinions. That's why we love it. Um, but uh, so, but but I'm I'm approaching it from a from a different angle than I think most people approach it from because I'm also on, on the creation side of things. Uh, so when you, you put a a you know a product in, in front of you know a, a consumer, be it you know a book, movie, game, whatever, you know. A, a fictional setting, a fictional product. There's work that the that the uh, um, you know the uh, let's just go with reader in this case. But the reader has to do. There are you know all sorts of you know uh, like like say for for example my book. There's all sorts of tech you know that that the reader has to absorb. There's all sorts of fake people you know, places, you know, societies, all this stuff. And for the most part, the only value that work has is in the, the enjoyment of the product itself and related products. But the unspoken covenant between the author and the reader is that, yes, I am asking you to do this work, but I will make it worth your while. And then when you have later on and, you know, say, you know, maybe not, not a book, but it's, it's more common with, you know, um, uh, streaming uh, shows and, uh, and movies, you, you as the, the viewer have done this work and then they do something that invalidates the work that you've put, the effort that you've put into enjoying that series. And then the creators are, are, you know, surprised that well, why are people upset? It's just fantasy. It's like no, you've <laughs> there, there you've was an, there was an unspoken agreement there, and you you violated that agreement. That is why the fans are upset. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They created a world. They created the rules of said world. And then they violate their own rules and then they get, they clutch their pearls when the fans are like, uh, no, like that. No. Why, why did you do this? And they get upset about it. It's, it's so weird. And you see it in Twitter, you see it all over the social medias and stuff when that kind of thing happens. And every fan is valid in their upset, you know, and being upset about that, you know, cause they feel like a, a trust. We trusted an author and then we got betrayed. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, it's like, hey, I'm asking you to do this. 
I'm going to make it worth your while. And then it turns out that you were lied to. So you're not going to do that, right? I'm going to trust you right now as an author. If I read your books and you betray me, we're doing an episode. <laughs> I try very, very hard <laughs> to, to make sure that the lore is consistent. Yes. Well, and I think, I think that's where you're probably going to be very successful because you, you, from a fan perspective, you also recognize that that's a problem. Um, that the author makes a promise and, and a set of rules of how this universe is going to operate and then you violate those rules. So like, if you know that going in, you're going to write just really good stuff because you want to keep your audience, you know, and you want your audience to continue to trust you as you hold their hand and take them through this journey. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, the key word there is trust. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, because if you've built up that trust and you like throw a wrinkle in, into the works, the readers are go, going to go along with the journey because like, okay, all right, this doesn't look right at first blush, but I right. trust this guy to, to see us through to an entertaining conclusion. Um, yeah. And, and yes, it, it is absolutely very important to um, earn that trust from, from the readers. I'm like that with every John Carpenter movie I've ever seen, ever, because he lures you in with that trust, and then he throws that ripple in there. And then it's rewarded because you're like, oh, I don't know if I trust this author anymore. I don't know if I trust this director anymore. And then he gives you that big payoff. You're like, that's my boy. Thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love it. I, yeah. This is what I love about speculative fiction. It's why I'm on this show. It's why I love having guests. I, I love talking about this stuff. Well, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the last Jedi was, um, it, it, it was it was like like I said earlier, it was the angriest that I have ever been coming out of a movie theater. Um, and it, it Heather uh, <laughs> Heather was hilarious out. because I was just ranting up a storm and she's just laughing. It's like I wish I and afterwards she told me, I wish I had filmed that because oh. I just went on this this epic, epic rant. Did, did it um, start with Leia Mary Poppins out of the starship? Because <laughs> that's where it started with me. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly where it started. Killed um, Akbar and made Leia do man. stuff she's never done before. Um, I think initially I was like really... My, Initially, I was just super upset with how dumb all the military forces were right. in, in that movie. And um, uh, like, like, what were there fewer uh, TIE fighters sent against the ships and there were Star Destroyers following them or something like that? And and like, apparently, what is it? The, the finalizer class? I, I, what what a... No, no, it was, the finalizer was was one of the ship names. It was like the resurgence class. Anyway, I think I've forgotten most of the first order lore because it's not worth it's not worth remembering. But those were like supposed to be carriers, and so you should see like you know what you had in uh, um, Empire Strikes Back, where it's just like 
wave after wave of fighters are just like blotting out the stars. And the ion cannon and all that. And it's, and it's like Kylo Ren and his homies, you know, yeah. just show up in a few. And Kylo Ren and the boys? That, that sounds like a rap group. <laughs> Kylo Ren and the boys. It's like a progressive country rap group. And 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 he's just like, you know, they're they're you know, there there's no like uh um combat air patrol protecting the uh you know the the, the yeah there's no the, fighter class it's and, it's and they're just like you know wrecking face it's like oh wait no you're too far ahead you have to come back we can't support you like <laughs> he doesn't need any support he's about to win <laughs> yeah so so for fighter. the record kylo ren was played by that driver character and he was uh, happy marine. birthday united states marine corps to which we are recording this on driver is also birthday. marine so you'll be hearing this in December, but think back fondly to the ones that didn't survive the drunken shenanigans. I have no problem with Adam Driver. I think he's a great actor. I think he did a great. Oh, I, 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 I absolutely enjoy um, his performances. Um, no, I was I referring just, to the Marines that might not survive their drunken shenanigans today. So when we look back at this in the first of December, when we listen to this episode, we're just going to have a moment of silence right now for those that didn't survive or that Article 15 themselves. I hope you didn't OD on crayons and you received no uh, UCMG action. Well, they call it NKP or NGP. I don't know because they eat crayons. I randomly got a uh, a ping on the on the face space from one of the the Marines we worked with when I was in Iraq. Uh, He's the one who I actually made a joke about it when I shared it on Twitter. But they stole our tow bar because you know gear adrift is a gift. Uh, So that's. Yeah, well, we stole their guide on. So, I mean, I'd say we've won that affair. But uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Funny, yeah. on Marine Corps birthday, he reached out to me. I'm like, oh, you didn't drink yourself into oblivion. Congratulations, Devil Dog. The day ain't over yet, sir. That's <laughs> well, I mean, the recovery day. This is in the evening record. He he did message me at three. So there was still, you know, room for deterioration, improvement. Depends on who you ask. Just don't drink the grog. Don't drink the grog, sir. If they offer it, just no. Oh, man, always drink the grog. I don't oh. care because it's the Marine Corps. I just remembered. I just remembered the, the, the one thing that made me the most upset. The Haldo maneuver. There it is. Uh, that, there that was the is. thing that, that made there me the absolute most upset because, because – and I remember what I was telling Heather. It's like they have just invalidated the reason for having Star Destroyers, for having any of the cool stuff because all you need – are hyperdrives and anvils, and you can destroy anything. Yep, I agree with you. And that's <laughs> you're about to set me off on a 45 minute rant about that bullshit Hodor maneuver. We, we should probably move on. And I uh, love yeah. how in the Rise of Skywalker they try to brush it out. <laughs> they try to brush it out like, oh, that's a one in a million. Because Ruin Johnson, I'm sorry, Ryan Johnson. Was like, oh yeah, this is how I'm going to do the film, and I'm going to set this precipice where you can use uh, hyperdrive missile systems. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? Because it just makes me think to Han in the very first Star Wars, like, hey man, it's not like uh, dust and crops, boy. You got to do these calculations, otherwise you're going to end up in the middle of a sun or a start or a uh, what did he say, a uh, an asteroid field, and that end your trip real quick. You know, now you have a hyperdrive weapon, really. Come on. No. Ruin Johnson, if I ever meet you in the open street, and I swear to God, if I ever meet you, 
slap the fuck out. <laughs> With that being said, please do not sue us. This was a joke in hypothetical land. And we're going to move on to the next religion question. You've got one more to make it through. And we're a half hour in because we've been getting nerdy with it, which, you know, we did title the episode that. So it's kind of our fault. But Nick. this question is probably these, the easiest of the three. So, sir, because we are not knuckle-dragging troglodytes anymore anyway, coffee or tea and how do you take it? So... Uh... I don't uh, drink either very often. Um, when I have one, it's normally coffee. Okay. But, but um, uh, normally it's whatever my wife has put in it. So I'll have a sip of whatever she's having. So she normally just, it's like. Is she, she a barista? Does she make good does she make um, good co coffee concoctions? Um, she she buys really good coffee concoctions from really good okay. coffee places. Um, but uh, I there's actually this um, uh, notorious episode from my childhood where I uh, I was introduced to uh, chocolate covered coffee beans, uh, and I ate them. Ate, right? Oh yes, and yes. I ate. I ate too many, and um, they're delicious, though, right? They are. They are. I, I've also made that same mistake, sir. <laughs> and uh, and after that, my uh, my parents did not let me have chocolate covered coffee beans for a while because you were amped up, weren't you? You were like, oh Whoa. yeah, yeah. It, it was <laughs> it was uh, it was Jacob uh, cranked up to eleven, and oh, uh, the parents Lord. did not appreciate that. Yeah, and and we got a a, a spinal tap reference out of there. It's dialed to eleven, <laughs> dialed to eleven. Yeah, I remember the first time I ate those, and I was like, "Oh man, they taste really good," but it's got that coffee flavor, so it was like, mm, and uh, and then next thing you know, I was a bottle rocket. I had so much energy, <laughs> and I was like ten, so I had no like. I went outside and I'm running. And I'm riding my bike. And I'm like being very annoying in the neighborhood. I got banned from three parks that day. <laughs> so good, though. Do they still make that stuff, man? Because I'm going to get an order. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Oh, I'm looking. Well, anyway, uh, we are at the half hour mark, and we didn't make it past the religion questions, but I had a lot of fun going all the sideways rabbit trails. Uh, but before we go to the commercial, I have to ask you, because you don't see many people rock the bow ties anymore. So what's the story there? All right. So um, he's a time lord. Pardon? You're a time lord. Only time lords rock. I, I'm sure there's uh, a fez so, somewhere so, underneath you. So you're you're closer than you think. Um, so one, uh, uh, Heather and I, we we went to Dragon Con a number of years ago, and we decided to uh, cosplay uh, as doctors uh, from Doctor Who. And so she did uh, uh, David Tennant, and I yes. did Matt Smith. And so that was the, the first time that I wore a bow tie. And I found out that I really liked it. Um, and I've always um, enjoyed, you know, not so much like dressing up like really fancy, but maybe a little more formal uh, right. than, than most of the people around me. But uh, on, on the other side of that, I, I work in a uh an industrial environment so i had sort of 
kind of developed this this phobia of wearing long ties. It's sort of like the the one scene from Who Frames Roger Rabbit where the, the guy got oh, his tie. Oh no, no shocking about no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh um but bow ties solve that issue perfectly. Um she wears she wear a vest. Uh, I I will I will sometimes wear a vest, but but not often. Uh, I will sometimes wear suspenders, but but not often. Um, but so after um, after that one Dragon Con, and I forget how many years ago it was, five ish, seven ish, somewhere around there. Um, Christmas rolls around, and so Heather's like, "Hey, family wants to know what you want for Christmas." I said, "Bow ties." He's like, are you serious? I'm like, absolutely. And that's how my collection of bow ties got started. That's so awesome. Do you, do you free tie them or do they come with the clip and you just sort of I, I have a I have about 50-50 split. Um this one is free tied. Um, but uh sometimes I'm just feeling a little bit lazy and we want to go out to dinner and I'll just do do the clip. Um so it's it's more of a mood thing, you know. If I'm I love it feeling, you know, fancy or if I'm feeling lazy. <laughs> well, from the outside, they both look fancy, so nobody would know. Yeah. <laughs> Getting a collection. He needs a fez. So so my grandpa Hanley was a little bit of a um he wasn't always the church deacon. And so he always told me to get clip on bow ties because if you ever got in a fight and someone tried to grab your tie, because this mm. is back when everyone wore a shirt and tie all the time. He's like, they can't choke you with it. And then while they're in a little bit of shock that the tie came off, because that was back when clip-ons weren't as common, he said, you get a few few uh, jabs left and right in before they can recover. And sometimes that's all you need. That was his advice to me when I was 13. So my grandpa wore bow ties to church, but he never tied them. They just hung over there like he was a mob boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he was a Navy vet, so he was like big, broad shoulders, giant delts, and he had like forums like Popeye and he had American Eagles on each one boxing because hmm. he was a boxer on ship. He was, he was that guy. So he won a couple of, you know, uh, fleet championships or whatever. So he was very proud of that. So when he showed up to church, he looked like an Irish mob boss. <laughs> he had the bow tie undone. He wore the vest buttoned up with a pocket watch, mind you, which is what I thought was baller as shit. You know, and he'd wear a duckbill cap. It's like, Jesus Christ, did Boston spit you out? You know, and then he'd have his sleeves rolled up, and he'd have these two American eagles facing off. Mm -hmm. Coolest shit ever. Like, I, I'm not even that cool to pull that off. And I draw comic books. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> so, but he had a boat. Nick, I have to ask, because I know the audience is thinking it. Are we sure he wasn't a mob boss? Did he ever tell you he was in sanitation? I know that the family went back to Boston and that there was some ties to the Sullivans. So I'll just so leave it at that. Did they, did, they, uh, did they donate some money to the Troubles? They, do they donated stuff to the Chech. Okay, okay. I Grandpa, that's a $25,000 check. Who are you sending that to? I'm sending it to the fucking chat. Okay. So, There's yeah, maybe now that I think about it, he might have been a mob boss. 
There's a pretty cool song. Uh, if you're listening to this in December when when it airs, there's a pretty cool Dropkick Murphy song about family, and it's set in Boston because it's Dropkick Murphys. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's it's also not very family friendly, so I will not quote any of the lyrics tonight. Dropkick uh, Murphys. I mean, come on. Jacob has a oh, reputation as as a decent human being to uphold. I mean, they pretty much know that's over for us. The ship has sailed, Nick. But but Jacob still has the chance at decency. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right, we're going to pause <laughs> while I shamelessly shill for the man this time, uh, another Bane author, uh, Larry Correa, and uh, his Gunrunner book with John Brown, who did not uh, march on Harper's Ferry. We have that in good authority. He is not that John Brown. Once, long ago, Jackson Rook was a war hero, raised from boyhood to pilot a mech. He fought gallantly for the rebellion against the collectivists. Now he's a criminal, a smuggler with a new mission. Steal a top-of-the-line mech and deliver it to a world so hostile, even the air will kill you. In the smuggling business, it's best to take the money and ask no questions. But when the client runs roughshod over the planet's citizens, Rook must look deep inside and see if the heart of a warrior still beats within. Gunrunner, by best-selling authors Larry Correa and John Brown. From Bane Books at BaneBooks.com. We figured it was I like appropriate. that cover so much. I do too. We figured it was appropriate since you write for Bane also. Do you write for other Trad Pub or just Bane? Just Bane. Okay. I mean, that's like not just just Bane because it's kind of a big deal, but yeah, <laughs> yeah Bane's a big deal. I, I can't get into Bane. They laugh at me. I mean, if well, I showed up to buy books, they'd probably let me in and take my money, but then they kick they, us out the back door so no one knows they we were would there. definitely take my money and let me buy a book. And I'm yeah, then they kick us out the back door so they didn't know. Don't tell anybody right. that you bought my stuff. <laughs> so we're going to show the cover, and you're going to tell us the story of the Gordian oh. universe and then about your debut novel, traditionally published novel, uh, in this world, which is the fifth book uh, in this series oh. of standalones. So first we're going to show that cover. And uh, what can you tell us about the universe and how you got involved? So um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, the Gordian Division series, um, started with the Gordian Protocol, and it's a, a tale of two historians, uh, one from the, the 30th century and one from our mo modern day time that have to team up and change the past in order to save the future. And okay. unfortunately, there are a bunch of uh, really, uh, really mean people with some heavily militarized time machines that would uh, very much like them to not succeed. And uh, a lot of action and drama ensues. Um, okay. Then we, uh, we, we escalate things um, in uh, the, the, the next book, the, the Valkyrie Protocol. Um, I actually remember um, a conversation that uh, David Weber and I had, and, and he was concerned that we were uh, escalating things too quickly. And so he, he called up Tony Weisskopf, um, and we, we explained what we were doing, and Tony's response was, go big. So um, while the, the Gordian Protocol has like a dogfight between, I don't know, like eight different time machines, in, in one of the scenes. Uh, the Valkyrie Protocol has a fleet action involving 300 time machines and a time-traveling battle station that's firing time-traveling nuclear-tipped missiles. Okay. Uh, so, so a slight escalation. Yeah, um, a little bit. You really umpty it. Up but, the uh, there. <laughs> but one of the things that I uh, 
Right. Um, didn't really uh, know at the time uh, what, when we were plotting out the, the, the second book is that David had actually wanted the, the series to uh, end up as a, uh, uh, a, have a police procedural aspect to it. Okay. And, uh, and he was also concerned that um, we would, given where we were going, we would run out of apocalypses to throw at our, um, throw at our protagonists. Okay. And I'm like, okay, okay. All right. So um, we, we worked on a, uh, uh, what, what became the, uh, the, the Janus file, which is much more, uh, it's within the same, you know, larger setting, but it's really zoomed in. It is at its heart, a murder mystery. Um, and uh, I discovered that I really, really enjoy writing police procedurals. Um, oh, and so, geez. and so, you know, we wrote uh, the Velto file, which was another uh, police procedural. And then uh, Tony and I were, were talking about solo projects and uh, I had, uh, I, I said, well, okay, do you want, um, you know, a proposal from me set in the Gordian Division series or would you like something original? And she said, let's embrace the power of and. Like, okay. So I, I put together two proposals for her. One ended up uh, as the, the Dyson file and, and one I actually uh, uh, just... Uh, was the uh, freelancers of Neptune, uh, which I just turned in, and and she 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 ended up buying both of them. I thought she was going to pick one or the other, but she ended up buying both of the the solo proposals. And uh, so so yeah, that that's uh, how um, uh, the the fifth book in the series ended up being a a solo contribution. Um, okay. Now one of the uh, one of the things that I, I didn't tell David until we had turned in book one. Um, so when when David approached me with the idea of writing this the series, uh, we were we were out to dinner. Uh, me, Heather, David, his wife Sharon, we we were out to dinner, and I had actually I had just had a manuscript rejected by Bain, and so I had okay. asked him, you know. David, would you uh, mind going through this manuscript and telling me where you think I need to improve uh, as an author? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And over the course of dinner, he he had this, uh, he, he developed this mischievous smile. And, and then he said, you know what? I think we should write a book together. Okay. And... <laughs> And in, he had he already had a uh, the, the general uh, framework for the Gordian Protocol, so it, it wasn't called that at the time. It was just a proposal that he had actually sent in to Bain uh, to Jim Bain um, back when he proposed Honor Harrington, um, a whole number of other things. There were like ten proposals that he had sent Bain at that time, uh, and. The Gordian Protocol was one of them. What David didn't know was that I had uh, once sworn to myself that I would never, ever, under any circumstances, write time travel. They didn't want to have to deal with time travel's drama. Um, so, so of course, 
you know, my, my response uh, to, to David was, uh, why, yes, David, I think this is a wonderful idea. <laughs> well, it's David Weber. I mean, exactly, it's David Weber. <laughs> hey, Dave, uh, what's going on? What can I do for you today, sir? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Don't worry, I have questions for David, too. So uh, the, uh, the Dyson file is a, um, we have uh, two uh, detectives. Um, okay. They are not so much from opposite uh, sides of the tracks as they are from two separate timelines. Uh, okay. They are from I can see how that gets interesting. Two different uh, versions of Earth um, and uh, uh, one from... Uh, Siskov, which is a, uh, it's a very mature post-scarcity society. Um, they have, you know, uh, mature AI technology, uh, self-replicating -repli uh, machines, all sorts of stuff. Uh, virtualized um, mentality, the works. Um, the, uh, the admin is going through the transition into post-scarcity. And their society is having to deal with that, and they're 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 having some bumps along the road. Um, they are also um, a much more militaristic and xenophobic culture uh, by nature, in that they have existential threats that they are actively combating against. Right. So uh, you have uh, Isaac Cho who is the, uh, the Siskov uh, detective. He's very much a, uh, his, his superpower is that he is methodical, uh, hardworking, and that he doesn't give up. That's um, a good superpower he, to have though. He's, it is. Um, he's, he's not a super genius, but he is very thorough. Uh, okay. And then you have from from the other side, who's his deputy via the officer exchange program is uh, Special Agent Susan Cantrell. And her um, previous experience with um, law enforcement is blowing up terrorists. Um, I can relate. <laughs> and uh, uh, she has a full synthetic body. So whenever... Um, uh, uh, you know, at, bullets start flying. Um, she's the one who jumps in the way. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, they, these two characters are actually the most fun characters I've ever written. And I, I just writing scenes with them just almost immediately puts a smile on my face. Uh, they have, I, I really enjoy writing the dynamic between the two. Um, because, you know, you have the, the, uh, initially when, when they're, they're paired in the Janus file, it, it very much looks like that this, this isn't going to work out because it's, you know, it's kind of an oil and water thing. Right. But, uh, the, the, the secret is that, um, they're, they're actually kind of perfect for each other. Um, okay not only professionally, but romantically, but they're both so dense that they don't realize it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
but and and that's that's part of part of the fun that I have with with writing those characters. Anyway, this particular one starts with a uh, what appears to be a suicide of a high-profile engineer who's in charge of the uh, the project to demolish the planet Mercury and convert it into a solar collecting megastructure. Okay. Committed suicide. And the, uh, the Isaac, science matches. It makes it works. And, and and Isaac and Susan have been sent in to uh, to evaluate the situation. Okay, my if, question is: um, Are the protagonists are they like a law enforcement time travel type thing? Like, do they so is there like a set of laws for the time travel and that? Like, are they in charge of, like, enforcing that? Is there an enforcement arm? How available is the time travel technology to other people? You know, like- these are all very good questions. So um, they they operate adjacent to the main time traveling arm. So the Gordian Division is the 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 time and trans-dimensional, trans-dimensional law enforcement arm of CISPOL. Um, this is the Consolidated System Police, uh, which is Cisco's federal police um, entity. Um, uh, Isaac is in uh, Themis Division, uh, which is they're, they're essentially the, the detectives, um, and so they they have sometimes interactions with the Gordian Division. Um, uh, in the Dyson file, the Dyson file, they are, there is actually no time travel in in the Dyson file, um, or transdimensional travel. Whereas in Janus and uh, Veltal, um, there's there's a little sprinkling of of time and transdimensional travel. Um, so the in terms of the, it looks like we lost him there. Yeah, I'm listening though, so keep going. Okay, okay, I'm just I'm, so. Um, the uh, uh, in terms of the, the legal landscape, um, the titles of the books, uh, the Gordian Protocol, the Valkyrie Protocol, those are actually the laws that have been put in place to prevent the existential disasters that nearly destroyed all of reality in the previous uh, in the first two books. Okay. Um, and time travel and transdimensional travel are heavily restricted because it's very, very dangerous. Um, but they do play a role in um, the Janus file and the Velto file. Uh, but the Dyson file is very much just a straight um, sci-fi police procedural um, in the setting. And uh, the time travel does not play a factor this time. So in the series writ large, where time travel does play some of a factor, do you play into the time travel sort of paradoxes that everyone gets wrong? Did you just take the idea that they're in parallel universes so they don't have to match up and it works? Uh, Do you have a common point of divergence? So um, we have... um... We, we have a number of mechanics in place to avoid plot holes <laughs> that, that we, we just, David and I designed into the system uh, from, from the get-go. So, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question, but there's one thing that I, I wanted to, to mention first uh, I, what, in talking about the rule set. 
So one of the problems that I generally have with time travel in fiction, and it's not always, it's not with all of, all of the rules. Some, some of them handle this, this well, but um, I, I, the, the issue that I have is with um, the sequence of events. So you have like someone goes back in time and, and makes a manipulation that then propagates forward and, and you know, like the, the whatever presence right. the character's in has changed. And then, then you have like more, you know, time travel, you know, time, then, then you have to go back and you have to, um, you know, change it again and whatnot. It's like, okay, what mechanism um, applies a sequence to the time travel manipulations? And generally, it's the the order that you're viewing, you know, the order that the scenes are being presented or the order that you're reading them in a book. Um, well, we actually have a mechanism for that. And so there is a point in time that's called the true present, and there is no future past it. Uh, it is moving forward one second per second. Um, and so if you go back in time for, say, a month, you know, a month mm -hmm. you're time and you come back to the true present, it is one month later. Uh, so what that gives us is a, um, a master clock that everything else can be sequenced off of. Uh, in terms of manipulations to the timeline, you in our setting, you cannot change your, your own past. You can cause the timeline to branch, which generally spawns a, a new universe, um, you can, and, and, but that has to, there's a certain threshold that, um, event has to reach in order for the timeline to branch. Otherwise, once you leave the, essentially the temporal inertia, things just kind of go back to the way they were. Right. Um, so, so we do, it's essentially a branching timeline mechanic. Uh, with a, a master clock and a point in time where it's like, hey, there is no future past this. So you're, you're not going to... Yeah, you're, you're, their future selves are not going to show up for in one book because that future hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Uh, how you set that up. Okay. It, takes, it definitely takes out the uh, Doctor Who elements of being able to go forward and backwards in time at certain points and like muck things up. <laughs> so, no, I like that element of time travel. It's like you can only go so far. Yeah, a lot of uh, a, a lot of the series focuses on like the the interactions between Siskov and the admin, um, and so we're we're dealing with you know. How, and and also there are they're they're kind of going out into the wider multiverse and and kind of locating the the coordinates for other universes that have spawned and um, like there's uh, this book was just turned in the Thermopylae Protocol which will be book six um, uh, that part of that book takes place on. Uh, a in a timeline where World War One went a bit long and went nuclear. Oh, uh, wow. so 
So, so that, so that timeline that's had it a, a bit rough. That's different. <laughs> now I know there has been a timeline in a time travel or alternate history where the civil war was lost by the union. So there was an American front to world war one, but I've never seen it go long in nuclear. That's crazy, man. That's, you that's with actually the, uh, really interesting. Did you start it with the archduke Ferdinand? Yep. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm just going to be upfront with you guys. I I leave the alternate history stuff to David. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the I'm the techie of the two of us, though. Though David is no like I is a classically trained historian. So uh, Nick has said we are not allowed on the same podcast because he needs it to be done under twelve hours. Like he's got a hard limit, so he's just <laughs> well, not letting yeah, me we're like we got eleven hours left. Let's go. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So. Um, what was it like doing this solo? Did you end up getting any insight from David or was it just literally, you know, here's the reins, go do your thing. I'm going to go take a breather. So um, as the series has, has gone on. So w with the first book, you know, it's very much, this is, you know, David's concept. Um, we kind of split um, uh, the, the, the world building uh design work. Uh, I designed the, the two 30th century societies. He did all the, the his, uh, alternate history stuff. Uh, he designed some characters. I designed some characters. Um, he did the initial plot it was outline. Was a true collaboration? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as, as the series has gone on, he's handed me more and more of the reins um, so that uh, when, you know, when I... I said, hey, David, would you mind if I, you know, write a Gordian division book solo? Um, he was completely on board with it. Um, I, uh, I wrote up a, uh, basically my, my sales pitch to, for, for Tony Weisskopf. He reviewed it first. Uh, I, I sent it to her, got it approved. Um, and then the, the next time that uh, he saw it was uh, I gave him the, the finished manuscript. He reviewed that, gave yeah. me the thumbs up, and then I, I submitted it to Bain. Um, so, and, and uh, there are certainly, as I said, Isaac and Susan are two of my favorite characters ever to write. And uh, I may be proposing another solo at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> can't 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 say what the future holds, but uh, it's 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 spoilers, yeah. darling. So obviously that's house. how the universe came to be. But how did you end up uh, writing with David Weber to start with? Because that's something a lot of people would like to do, and not many get to do. <laughs> so this actually, um, it's the, this story starts in a rather dark place, and starts with uh, Heather uh, being diagnosed with. Uh, uh, melanoma. Oof. And, uh, so she, uh, she had a, uh, and it was stage one. Uh, so she had the, uh, uh, the, the, the cancer removed as part of that, uh, she had a lymph node biopsy and there were two lymph nodes that were removed and they had to cut through muscle to get to that. So she, her recovery from that was rough. Substantial. Yes. Now to, 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 Tell the, you know, fast forward through that aspect of the story. There has not been a recurrence. 
since since that 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 cancer was removed. So that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, so she was recovering from that surgery. And um, Heather um, Heather likes to be up and about, uh, and she was having a severe case of cabin fever. Um, and uh, thank God she didn't stab you. And, and and she she said, "Hey Jacob, there's a pardon me, there's a uh, a small convention nearby. Uh, let's go to it." I'm like Heather. Um, we're still at the point where I am helping you, you know, up and down from from the couch. I don't right. think walking around at a at a convention is really the the smartest thing. It's like you lost that Jake. one, didn't you? <laughs> well, and then she said, "You know, David Weber's going to be there. You can get your copy of In Death Ground signed." And I went to my uh, grab my old dog-eared copy of In Death Ground, and I'm like, "Okay." You win. Wheelchair it is. So so we went there and, you know, I've, I've got my arm out and she's hobbling around. Uh, and uh, the uh, the TRM and uh, uh, the the Oniverse uh, fan club was there. And uh, so we, we were uh, um, online, you know, got got the book signed. David was handing out uh, free copies of uh, On Basilisk Station. So I got another copy of On Basilisk Station, uh, put down uh, in Death Ground, and David said, whoa, <laughs> which I believe was our shortest conversation ever. Uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, got, got both books signed, yeah. stepped aside, and I didn't really think anything of it. And so then we're talking to... Uh, some of the uh, the fan club. And they're like, oh, you guys write also? Well, if you join the fan club, uh, we do reading challenges. And if you're a member of the fan club and someone reads your book, then the, the, the page count is double. And it's like, oh, well, this might be a cool way for you know us to get our struggling indie books a little bit more uh, traction. Right. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then they, then they said, oh, you need to talk to Sharon, David's wife. And we're like, no. We do not need to bother David Weber's wife. So they sort of dragged us over, sat us down. Sharon came over and started talking about, you know, just writing and books and all sorts of stuff. And an hour went by and Sharon said, you know, we should do lunch sometime. Like, okay. There it is. Sounds fine to me. And so, you know, we, we met up, four of us met up um, a couple weeks later and lunch lasted four hours. And, uh, and then we met again and again and again. And uh, um, we, the four of us became really good friends. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I, it certainly, you know, I, I'd be lying if I, I said it never crossed my mind that, you know, hey, I'm friends with this, you know, Dave, David Weber, New York Times bestselling author, David Weber. And, but I, I never, I, I, I never brought up the, the topic of, of, you know, writing with him to him. 
Yeah. I, I guess in my head, I, I I was just telling myself if if that were ever to be in the cards, it should come from him. Right. And eventually it did. He he you know he he had read some of my indie stuff, so I wasn't like he didn't know what what my writing was like. He was aware um, of you. Yes, he was. Yeah. That's and, a good. Thing. Uh, and uh, you know he 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 knew my writing and he knew me as a person as a friend. And so he, he invited me to, to, you know, write a book together with him. And, uh, we have so far, um, written five books together, four of which have been published. Um, that's awesome. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, very, very lucky, very privileged to be able to say that David Weber is a very good friend of mine. That's great. That's awesome. I like to hear those types of stories and that that should go out to you, dear fans. If you're a creative type, whether you're doing um, speculative fiction, comic books or whatever, if someone that you admire invites you to dinner four times, you're probably in a lock to do something good, <laughs> you know, unless they just want you to keep paying for the steaks. You got to read the room. Well, I mean, yeah, that too. I was on the assumption that David was paying for the steaks <laughs> or at least going half. We, 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 we alternate. Yeah. Um, there you go. See, there you go. Which, I win. Which, which, which of us pays for dinner? No, so I what guess. it is, That's is everyone awesome. sees the bow tie and they assume he's like landed gentry and you know, all he needs now is a top hat and a monocle and he's already there. <laughs> no, no. He needs suspenders and a, and a dress coat. Hey, have you ever gone to Mr. I, I'm going to dress him like Matt Smith. I don't care what you say. I'm going to put and a fez on him. Mr. Moneybags with like the tuxedo with the bow tie and the hat and the monocle. From Monopoly? No. <laughs> that guy's pretentious. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes put on suspenders or a vest, but but normally it's just, just a, a button down shirt and a bow tie. No, I'm getting you a fez. That's non-negotiable. That has to happen. Okay, okay. So now we just got to like match the bow tie to the suspenders to the wrap around the, the fez, like it's got to happen. Oh yeah. This is happening. I don't want pictures. You know what they call a place that makes hats, Nick? A hattery? No, a haberdashery. I know this word from high school spelling bee. Okay. Actually it was middle school spelling bee. I didn't do that crap in high school. I wrestled have, so I could get the girls. Haberdashery? Haberdashery. All right. I know I have to go do a mustachery is, for it, wait. My, isn't my that beard. isn't that for only uh, men's hats? I thought there was a different word for for women's hats. Well, you sir are a man, so I was going on the assumption we were talking about you. Fair we enough, all rock. Fair enough. We all go to a haberdashery because <laughs> we're men, manly men, and Because I, I, I remember I had to look up. I had to look up the word for. Uh... Oh wait. That it actually is the Dyson file where where, where that word en ends up. The haberdashery is in the Dyson. No, file. no, no. It's 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 the the other word. Being oh, I I I don't remember it. Begins with an M. But uh, someone monocle. Get, pardon monocle because I like that word. Uh, it's, no, uh, no. His so Isaac has a uh, a virtual companion, an AI companion. And uh, uh, he he, got, he gets her a, a gift card for uh, for for uh, some hats. She she really likes hats. I like hats. <laughs> They're virtual hats, but you know, someone has to design them. Yeah, 
Come matter to me, virtual, real ones, as long as I look cool. I um I visited the haberdashery in um, Colonial Williamsburg once. I don't know if it's still open, but I tried to get the tri-corner hat, but then I saw the price tag, and I'm like, yeah, I got to sell a couple thousand more books for that to happen. They charge you extra for the arsenic and lace that they use when they make it. That was a joke, Nick. You, you're supposed oh, to you got to pay extra for that? Yeah. Or does it come with? No, you got to pay extra. Anyway. I, pay I think it's millinery. Right, so, anyway. Millinery? Um, that sounds like it might be real, but I could just be pulling that out of my backside. So you've created a very extensive world with lots of parallel sort of timelines. Is there any opportunity for people to permanently cross over and stay on the one they like more? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, or that's the one that they're not wanted on, like if you were a cop or a criminal running from the cops kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, uh, I mean, uh, Susan, the uh, the the admin uh, uh, special agent is essentially uh, working in uh, Siskov on, uh, on, on, you know, through the officer exchange program. So, yeah, there's uh cross-pollination between the two and there is trans-dimensional crime that uh as the two so two societies um collaborate more is also cropping up more and there are also opportunities for uh, nefarious deeds to be done outside of those two basically superpowers uh in the setting uh a lot of the other uh, timelines have had uh, something go horribly wrong that has uh, set them back uh, either societally or technologically or generally both. Um, and so most of the, uh, in fact, yeah, for, for the most part, uh, Cisco and the Admin are the only two societies that have uh, access to time travel and transdimensional travel. That we know of. Okay. So that we know of because you wrote this, <laughs> would you like to live in this world that you created? Uh, yes. Um, this Cisco is, um, it actually, you might say it shares some DNA with, um, the, uh, the optimistic view of the future that Star Trek has. Um, and it's it certainly it's 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 not the same. Um, it it does its own thing, but I think there's that you know sense that you know hey, we can you know work through our present day problems and realize a better tomorrow, and and that is the Cisco side of uh, of the setting. And yes, it would be a very cool place uh, to live. Um, also, and this is pretty, pretty much, um, from, uh, my, uh, it, it's, it's a big part of my contribution to the setting because I'm an avid gamer. Um, the, uh, Cisco, they're big into games. Uh, <laughs> in fact, um, the, uh, the, the Veltal file, uh, takes place at the first, um, uh, cross-universe um, gaming tournament. And the main plot centers around uh, death threats uh, being leveled against uh, one of the star visiting players. 
Okay. So are you planning on making a, a corresponding game to go with this? Uh, <laughs> no, there are no plans to do that. Um, I, uh, I mean, so there are a few um, games that I've kind of built at least enough of a framework to uh, write about in the setting. Um, and, and a lot of times it's just based off of stuff that, that Heather and I have been playing. Um, so there's a, there's a, essentially like a D&D slash Pathfinder equivalent, though it's like full interactive VR. Um, so the, like closer uh, to Battle Chess than, than Theater of the Mind. <laughs> uh, Battle Chess? You never played that as a kid? Um, I, I is think that I, where you make a move and slap the shit out of the opponent. No, no, battle chess is where the characters on the board move, and if you take them, your character fights the other character and kills it. So, like, oh, that's awesome. Your rook will hop uh, no, no, and is... stabs them. Like, it's a computer game. I had it on my Commodore 64. I don't know. Now, the uh, the, the game in the setting is called Solar Descent, and it's kind of a science fantasy, um, Dungeons and Dragons take on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, just, um, you know, role playing and, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of the things that the characters do to relax. Um, there's also, uh, another one called, uh, uh, mech master that is, uh, Heather and I, we were playing a lot of Digimon, the card game. Okay. And, uh, so it's, I sort of just borrowed some some of the rules from that it's like yeah i can make this work in in a, a fictional setting <laughs> so instead of uh digimon evolving in as you know for for the card game it's mechs combining <laughs> and and that's sort of how the the, the card game works mighty morphin power rangers oh no not no we don't do that what are you doing i'm trying to you know go old school you went to you, you got to take the Wayback Machine up towards us a little bit more. I mean, we're a time travel series, uh, so I had to go, I had to go full. Yeah, and then there's uh, time that you don't visit. <laughs> do, you, do you have like um, Time Lord equivalents in your book, like extra terrestrial type alien deities or whatever you equivalent you want to throw in there? No. Yeah, sure. Why not? No, there, 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 there isn't anything like that in the setting. Uh, there aren't any uh, aliens, at least not yet uh, in the setting. Um, it's, uh, it, it is uh, very uh, human centric. I'm uh, getting some very Jean-Claude Van Damme, Van Damme, I probably butchered his pronunciation, but you know who I mean. Muscles from Brussels? Yes, yes, his uh, his movie Time Cop, if you remember. Uh, I I I I do remember that movie vaguely. So, well, because you're alternate like parallel universes, you don't really have to worry about like the event that happens if you touch your past or future self, where you just sort of cease to be. Yeah, there's there you don't. Okay, so there actually <clears throat> there isn't that, but the the way that we have the. Uh, the rules set up and so you can go into the past and there's a certain level of manipulation that you can do without causing a branch and then you can leave 
and whatever ripples you've caused kind of move themselves out. The, the, the temporal inertia reexerts itself and things go back to the way they were. But a, an effect of this is that you can remove people and artifacts from the past and bring them to the, the true present. Uh, and you can do that over and over and over and over and over again. So then you end up with um, a, a method called you know, that we call temporal replication. Now mm -hmm. that is a very um, powerful tool to put in a character's toolbox. So um, we had to uh, part part of part of what we David and I set out to do with book two, uh, the Valkyrie Protocol, is to explain why <laughs> our characters will not, under almost any circumstance, do that. And I think we explain it uh, adequately <laughs> because uh, there are a lot of casualties in that book. And uh, yeah, um, the, the, the lesson is learned. <laughs> don't, don't muck with that. Bad things will happen. Uh, okay. Did you kill anybody you disliked in real life in that scene? Like that old third grade math teacher who just gave you too much homework or something? Um, no, but I, I will say that the, uh, the, the, the main villain in the, the second book, and I won't reveal who, who that, that person is, but that character, okay, normally when I, when I create villains, I'm kind of sympathetic toward them. I have a soft spot for really well-designed villains. Um, I mean, also, like, I, I I collected Imperial, you know. I I, I like collecting the bad guys. But most of my uh, my Warhammer 40k armies are are bad guy armies. Um, have you talked to your therapist about this? Uh, actually, no, I have not talked to my therapist about this. <laughs> I'm just saying the rebels but, were the real terrorists. All right, the but, Empire just wanted to keep order. <laughs> I mean. You know, uh, <laughs> I said what I said, uh, and and I've what what was it? Oh, oh yes, yes, okay. The bad guy, but but the the villain in in book two, I absolutely despised that character, and I have never been happier to kill off a character than in that scene, and it's a great death scene. It is a fantastic death scene. So I think who wrote that villain? Was that David's influence for the villain, or was that one you brought in? Um, I, I, the, so that character was introduced in book one, and I introduced that character, and it was David's. <laughs> da David was the one who came up with the idea to use that character as the villain for book two, and what a scumbag! Oh my gosh, I, I I I was so happy to kill off that character. <laughs> I just felt bad for them every time I had to write that character into a scene. I'm like, ah, I hate this. I hate him. <laughs> and then I got well, to kill him off. <laughs> all right. Well, and, and, then, and then David actually took took the uh, the death scene and and amped up even just just a little bit more he just added that that david weber touch 
So and a little like, bit of fire and brimstone. Oh, yeah. Days. yeah. Mm. Okay. I dig it, but I'll keep going for hours if you let me, because I, I get nerdy about the stuff. But Nick has a job he has to go to tomorrow. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, it's so dumb. I hate going, but they keep paying me, so I keep showing up. So, yeah. all right, Nick. Next question was yours. Hey, man. Um, Two-part. Get ready. Okay. What are you working on now, and where can we find you? All right. Um, what am I working on now? Um, so this uh, – <sighs> see, I'm not actually sure how much I'm allowed to talk about this. Okay, um, that's fair. Uh, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll go over what, what David has already talked about. Um, so uh, David has invited me to uh, write, um, to collaborate with him uh, on a, uh, a trilogy uh, in the Honorverse. Nice. Yes. Side characters or new, uh, are they like main characters from the original series? Is it going to be new side characters just in the universe? Uh, it, it is a prequel. Um, are you either of you guys familiar with the character Edward Saganami? I am. Go uh, on. So uh, the, the, the life and times and uh, heroic death of Edward Saganami. That is uh, what the uh, that that is the, the, the main focus of the of the trilogy. All and right. So well, be, because of that. Been, you, go ahead. Uh, so I've been. Uh, uh, working very um, extensively with uh, Tom Pope uh, and David, um, we have uh, a pretty solid outline for book one, and uh, we're basically uh, the, the the next step is to uh, uh, talk to Tony, say, "Hey, we are we're ready to go," um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm super excited about this. <laughs> uh, okay, so because you mentioned you're writing in that universe, do you have a favorite faction in the Honor First Saga? Oh, uh, <sighs> I mean, it's 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 hard to beat the RMN, you know. I just. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you had a penchant for the bad guy, so I was just checking. I I know, but uh, I just I just love the the world Manticore and Navy so much. I, just, I mean, if I had known you had a soft spot for the baddies, we could have had you on the Space Pirate episode we recorded. Totally, <laughs> I could see it. Even get you an eye patch, you'd totally rock that crap. Um, oh yeah, eye patches are key. But yeah, that, that is that. That's what I'm I'm currently working on. Um, I actually I just just turned in um, uh, freelancers of Neptune, which is Firefly meets Ringworld. Um, Dave and I are very close to turning in uh, the Thermopylae Protocol, which is book six, and um, is another big existential threat <laughs> to our setting. It actually, um, the Thermopylae Protocol is is really cool in that we're combining um, both the the cast from the the Protocol books with the cast from the File books. Normally, there's just a little bit of cross pollination, whereas this one, 
Uh, both of them are front and center and are heavily involved in resolving the, uh, the big existential threat of the book. Okay. Nice, nice. So we'll definitely Digging have to have you, we'll have to have you back for the uh, where we haven't announced it yet, but it'll air kind of contemporary to this one. The origins of a villain is an episode we were planning for a discussion. I, I would I would uh, be very happy if I got an invite to that. Consider <laughs> yourself invited, sir. And it might even air before this one. I haven't checked the schedule. But with that being said, uh, dear listener, this is the part of the interview where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book, and it keeps them motivated to keep writing when you say nice things. It strokes their ego, and they like that. So I love that. We love authors that. are very sheltered, and, and you know, they, they just they need that little bit of you know ego boost. So say nice things. They like it. Uh, with that being said, you can find us on our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bitch shoots, the rumbles, the Twitters, the email, where we have serious business inquiries only, the Facebook group and the Facebook page. And finally, we have Madam Stabby Stab on our Instagram, Twitter, and email address, where you can send all of the hate mail that you don't want to direct at Nick directly. You can send to Madam Stabby. We we make no apologies for the crying she makes you uh, do afterwards. That's on you, people. You can also support or find us on our website at anchor.fm slash blasters tech and tech blades again anchor.fm slash blasters dash and dash blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated they will drink until the coffee pours out of their eyeballs uh, and this is where I also remind you that if you click the link for Coffee Brand Coffee, you can support the show by buying some fine American brewed and American ground uh, Java for yourself. We get a little bit of a kickback when you use the uh, the link. And if you use our code, you get a discount. So it's a win-win. It's podcast grunts on all of the Coffee Brand Coffee websites. They have fine so teas, coffees, hot chocolates, or cacao, as they like to say, because, you know, people... Uh, you know what, Nick? I imagine when they say cacao instead of hot chocolate, they put their pinky in the air. Oh, yeah. They're like, they cock their head up so they can look down their nose at you. And I'm like, all right, Absolutely. Whatever. It's European then, sipping chocolate, sir. Mm, anyway, I drink coffee because I'm a champions. Forget about it. Exactly. And with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And we are out. Wait for it.